0: Good morning. All right, does everyone have uh, notes or needs notes? If you need any notes, just go ahead and raise your hands and um, the ushers will get them to you. All just right, turn our Bibles to, just keep your hands nice and high so they can see you. And turn your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. I want to talk to us this morning about building up our holy faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence. Father, thank you for your nearness. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you come and you pursue us and you draw near to us by your spirit. Father, we ask you this morning. Magnify your son in our hearts, in our minds. Father, we ask you this morning, Lord, that you would cause the light of your spirit to shine on us. Lord, that you would open up our eyes to your law, to see glorious things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, paragraph A on page, uh, on page 1 you know, in um, the month of March, and as a spiritual family, we went on a time of intensive seeking the Lord, and the Lord just really began to continue to highlight the issue of drawing his people, our spiritual family, but the body of Christ at large, into the grace of the first commandment to love God with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And uh, during that time, uh, a surprising thing happened, something that I personally have never seen, and I think uh, many in our leadership team had said the same thing, they had never seen this before, was that the Lord began to highlight Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 20, uh, 14 to 21, which is the, the message that the Lord gives specifically to the, uh, to the church of Laodicea. And this passage is one of those passages that, you know, when you read it, you know, you're either think of having a good sermon or you think of giving it, that message to somebody else. It's not something that we tend to think of, wow, this really, really applies to me. And the thing that was surprising was how deep and how many of us began to lay hold of this passage going, no, the Lord is speaking to us, He's speaking to me in a real deep and personal way. Then the next surprising thing is, is that the theme actually continued for six weeks. I mean, For six weeks, the Lord was just uh, giving grace upon grace and insight and tenderly uh, speaking to our hearts, giving us insight into uh, this passage and how it relates to our personal lives, as well as his glorious invitation to, uh, to come to the table, uh, to sit at the Lord's feet, uh, to feast of His love, to grow in the knowledge of God, and and the passages that were highlighted in that context was John thirteen to seventeen. This this trinitarian conversation, how Jesus, the the greatest teacher that ever lived, gave us the clearest insight in how we are to uh, interface with the Godhead, and not only that the longing and the desire of the Trinity for you and I to enter into a a dynamic fellowship with them. Uh, There are many, many passages in the New Testament that show us that this is our glorious destiny as believers to enter into this divine community. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they had been in relationship uh, throughout all of eternity past, perfect love, perfect community, perfect unity, perfect commitment, perfect delight, perfect excitement and enjoyment, and that in the eternal councils, there was a decision made to say, you know what? Let us make human beings that they might enter into the same community with us. And so when I think of Revelation chapter three, I don't just think of, the, the warning that the Lord gives to the church of Laodicea, but rather the invitation to, uh, to come to the table and to fellowship with the Lord. And, and again, in our context, the, the passages, and this is not the only way to come to the table of the Lord, but the, but the passages that we're highlighting uh, during that time of John 13 to 17. Paragraph B, uh, the Lord is calling the church in the West to overcome this lukewarm spirit. Now, what is this lukewarm spirit? It's a spirit that's seeking to do the works. Revelation 3.15, Jesus says, I know your works. It is seeking to do the works of the kingdom through self-reliance or self-sufficiency or doing the works of the kingdom by our own resources. So when I think of the church later, see, I think of a church that was actually busy seeking to do the works of the kingdom, but they were doing it uh, entirely by their, according to their own resources. Self-reliance, self-sufficiency that comes uh, from living disconnected from the revelation of God's love and deep fellowship with the Lord. So again, the lukewarm spirit is that mindset of seeking to do the works of the kingdom disconnected from the revelation of God's love and disconnected from the deep fellowship that he has apportioned for us. Now, a brief background um, about about Laodicea. Uh, Laodicea, paragraph C, was one of the uh, wealthiest cities in the Roman Empire, that were one of the wealthiest cities in the Roman Empire. And I don't think it's an action that the Lord would use Laodicea as to say, hey, to the, to the church in the West, hey, look, this is really an example for you, not just in terms of your condition, but in terms of the invitation and the promise that I have for you. Yeah, out of the 10 wealthiest cities, now out of 10 of the wealthiest cities in the world, six of those wealthiest cities are right here in the United States of America. So Laodicea was one of the wealthiest cities in the Roman Empire. Number one and number two, they were also a what they called a free city. In other words, they were given a a certain extra certain amount of of liberty and sovereignty and autonomy as a city as a city, even though they were under the supervision of the Roman Empire. Now the <laughs> The, 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 the city of Laodicea was so wealthy, number one, and they were so independent in their thinking. Remember, in Revelation 3.17, the Lord says uh, that their confession is that I am rich, I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing. That's what the church was saying. Now, this will make a little bit more sense to you if you, if, if you understand this. The city of Laodicea was so wealthy that in 60 A.D. there was an earthquake that came that completely destroyed the city. There was an earthquake that completely wiped out the city. And the Roman Empire, you know, being that they were under their supervision, sends them a, a humanitarian check, so to speak, to rebuild the city. And they kindly put the check back in the envelope, so to speak, and send it back to Rome and said, no, we don't need it. We're fine without it. I mean, that was the mindset of the Laodicean. I mean, imagine any of our cities in America getting hit by some kind of a natural disaster, and FEMA says, hey, here's some aid to help you out. And, the, and that city says, you know what? No, we're good. <laughs> I mean, that's literally what they did. I mean, that speaks of, number one, the, the wealth that they possessed and also spoke of the mindset that they had as a city. Jesus uh, tells them that they are lukewarm now why now what is this lukewarmness referring to the uh, the lukewarmness is referring to the state and the condition of their heart but when the Lord spoke to the church of Laodicea and said you are lukewarm they understood what it is that he meant because when he's speaking about them be, being lukewarm he is refer he is, uh, uh, he's referencing uh, the, uh, uh, the water system of that city. And the way that the city was situated, that despite all of their wealth and all of their influence and all of their favor and all of their power, the way that the city was situated geographically uh, uh, caused their water system to be completely useless. Because the water was actually lukewarm. They could not use the water. And so here was it, so the the irony is that here is this powerful, wealthy city that says they have need of nothing that is entirely dependent on the water that that comes from the outside. And there were two major cities within about a 10-mile radius outside of Laodicea. One was called Hierapolis, and the other one was Colossae. Hierapolis, this is how I think of it, Hierapolis H., the hot water came from Hierapolis. And the hot water was used for medicinal purposes and whatnot. And then the cold water came from Colossae, see for cold. And so the water for drinking and refreshing and bathing, that came from Colossae. And the hot water for medicinal purposes came from, uh, came from Hierapolis. In other words, the hot water was useful. The cold water was useful. And so when Jesus tells them, Hey, look, I wish that you were hot or cold. He's saying, I wish that you were useful to me, but the problem is your independent spirit has made you lukewarm. Therefore, you are as useless as the water in your own city. And the reason for their lukewarm state is because of their confession in verse 17. Because you say, I am rich. I've become wealthy, I have need of nothing, and we could add in there, including you, Lord, so to speak. Now, I don't think that they were walking around saying, I don't need God, but their insistence to Do the works of the kingdom by their own resources and their own strength, disconnected from the revelation of God's love and deep fellowship. That was a statement to heaven that they were saying, heaven was interpreting that as them saying, Look, we don't need you. And because of this confession, here is the lukewarm state. This is you're wretched, you're miserable, and you're poor, and you're naked. Now, the thing that strikes me about this part where he says that they're blind, and this goes back to what happened uh, in March as the Lord was highlighting this, is that when we're blind, we actually need help from someone else to show us our blindness. In other words, a lukewarm spirit is not something that we just naturally go, oh, wow, I'm lukewarm. In fact, the realization of that actually comes from the Holy Spirit. And so one of the things that began happening just with, with many on the team was they began asking the Lord this question. Go, Lord, it's a very dangerous question, but, is, but it's an important question. Go, Lord, would you show me areas where it is that I'm lukewarm? Because we don't naturally see it. It's, it's a very uncomfortable thing uh, 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 to, uh, to think about, but yet it is, it's necessary that the, the grace of the Lord is near us, I believe, to ask this question, and the thing that blew my mind personally was the stories that I was hearing, just of people having dreams, encounters of just ties in the Lord, and just the gentleness by which the Lord was coming along, alongside us uh, to, uh, to help us and to show us the way forward. Paragraph D, the church, the church of Laodicea uh, acclimated herself to the surrounding social culture and embraced the mindset Of the culture, that's what's happening in three seventeen. They are confessing that really the mindset of that city, the mindset of the city of Laodicea, had entered into their spirituality. And um, this mindset, in paragraph D, it kept believers unaware of this sluggish spiritual condition that they were in. Lukewarmness leads to building the church in a way and a mindset according to the culture. And this mindset does not produce disciples with a primary vision for deep fellowship with Jesus and a vibrant spirit. Paragraph E. And so the, uh, the challenge of, for the Laodiceans was whether or not they were gonna continue to primarily lean on their own resources, or were they going to embrace obedience producing faith? Obedience producing faith. And in just a few moments, we'll talk a little bit more about that. A faith that leads to an active relationship with the Lord. Because faith is not passive. Faith is not faith is very, very active. It it, it pushes us, it propels us into. Cultivating our relationship with the Lord and it and it and and it it motivates us and it drives us to living lives of obedience. We walk by faith when we put our full confidence in the Lord. Paragraph G. Jesus uh, deeply loves his church, and I love this in verse 19. He says, That those whom I love, I rebuke those that I love. He communicates his his longing and his desire for. In fact, when he says that I will vomit you out of my mouth, I don't believe that it was out of this. Um, how can I say? I don't think it was out of this disconnected, uh, uh, dissociated, dismissiveness of the church. But rather, he goes, "I'm in pain." He goes, "I'm actually pained over the lack of connection." Between us and your desire to build my, uh, 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 my kingdom, to serve my kingdom without connecting with me. And so we see the Lord's longing in uh, Revelation t- uh, chapter 3. And so he loves the church and he's knocking on the doors of our heart. And, and Mike had a, 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 it was March 3rd, I think it was, that he was in his office. And uh, he was asking the Lord uh, for grace for his own heart and grace for us as a spiritual community to open up our hearts to the Lord. When that open vision appeared to him, that that when it opened up, there was the there was the there was the, the revelation of God's glory that was, that was coming through uh, that door, so to speak. And it was uh, God speaking, I believe, to us, but I believe to the church at large, but to us specifically, saying, "Look, I am here to give you grace to help you to open up." Your heart, and to bring you into a deeper realms of my presence and the knowledge of me and so Jesus when Jesus knocks, I believe it speaks of his wholehearted pursuit, his his persistent pursuit. He is the friend at midnight who is who is knocking at the door now, some of the ways that the Lord knocks at the door, one of the ways that we can tell that the Lord is knocking on our door, and I believe that undoubtedly. There are a good number of you in this room that you've, you've had this experience here here in the last several months. It, it, it is this, these waves, these, these thoughts, these longings that just come out of nowhere to say, man, I just, I just want to give myself a little more to the Lord in terms of the Word. I want to spend a little more time in the Word. I want to spend some more time in His presence. I want to spend some more time um, uh, just worshiping Him and, or even fellowshipping with believers to begin to unpack the Word. You know, in Psalm 27, uh, verse 8, it says, When my heart said, Seek your face, your face, O Lord, I will seek. And I believe that one of the ways that the knock of the Lord works is that our own heart actually begins to talk to us and say, Hey, just, you know, just take the next step in the grace of God to, uh, to connect with the Lord. And that's one of the ways I believe that the Lord is knocking on our hearts. Um, but there's other ways that he knocks on our hearts. Um, He intervenes in our personal life. Sometimes that gets, you know, like that guy that shows up unannounced. He intervenes in our social settings, and he intervenes in global scenarios. I believe that the current global shakings that are taking place right now are significantly related. Turn to page 2 page 2. At the global scenarios that are emerging, even this, the uh, the last year in particular, things have been happening just in this nation alone. I would say I would say the last four years, in a, in, in this nation in particular, in terms of the the riots in the cities and uh, 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 our our government being shaken and uh, 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 the ethnic conflict and the pandemic, all these things, I believe that they are uh, ways of how Jesus is knocking on. The heart of the church. Now, these knocks, they are going to continue. You know, uh, uh, being, overcoming the uh, the lukewarm spirit is not something that we just do for a 40-day fast and then this is that. But this is really a journey that we set ourselves on. And here's the why I know it's a journey. Because Revelation 3 ends by him saying, actually all the exhortations end this way. He says, he who overcomes. And every time the scripture talks about overcoming, it, it's, it's a lifelong journey. It, it's, it's a lifelong battle that all of us have an assignment. Every believer has an assignment to overcome, to conquer, to, to walk victorious, uh, with regards to various various areas, but in this particular context, we're talking about the lukewarm spirit, and so the Lord is leading us um, in, in, in this battle, so to speak, and He's knocking, and He's continued to knock. the uh, uh, The experiences, the longings that He is that some of you have been feeling, they're uh, they're going to increase until there's a response. But the scenarios nationally and globally, they're going to intensify until there is a full response, until there is a response that he's looking for. And it's not because he's angry, but it's because he's jealous. It's because he's longing, because he's yearning. He goes, this is what I died for. He goes, I purchased you with my blood. He goes, I am all in. Will you be all in with me? And if the answer is yes, I will empower you uh, to do so. Paragraph A, uh, we have uh, turned a corner, I believe, in the prophetic time clock. I believe that what happened in the last four years, in particular last year, I think was a, a very, very significant shift in the prophetic time clock, biblically speaking. And uh, we have begun, I believe, to inch our way, probably more than inch our way forward. Maybe, you know, taking some more accelerated steps forward uh, towards the shakings and the pressures that are prophesied in Scripture. I believe that um, not long from now, we're going to be turning off our TVs and reading our Bibles because the Bible is going to be a whole lot more accurate about what's coming next. (laughs) there's coming great pressure to the church. The next stop, so to speak, the next train stop before us is Revelation 17 and 18. I don't know when, but but that's that's the trajectory that we're on. A season of great pressure for the church. There'll be a time when the earth will be filled with epic intensity of greed, envy, immorality, the martyrdom of the saints for those who seek to live out and proclaim the prophetic gospel. And then we're going to go to a season of great pressure for the whole earth, Revelation 13, with the reign of the most evil man the world has ever seen ruling the world. This pressure, again, that, uh, that we're witnessing, it's just going to steadily increase. Now, in my opinion and the way that I see it, the Lord operates often like the waves of the seas. And if we don't understand that, we can really be tricked by it. Because just like you go, uh, to, uh, go to the beach, the, uh, the water, you know, it tends to kind of come in with like you know, two, three, four, seven waves. And then it recedes. And then comes another wave and then another one, and then another one, and then it recedes. And what is happening is many are, um, are misinterpreting almost like the times of quiet, as though it is maybe now we're going to go back to normal. Or maybe now. And the Lord goes, no. He goes, he goes, remember, my glory is like the waters that cover the seas. He goes, I move in waves, I move in waves. And right now the wave is just kind of receded. And there's coming another wave. And it's just gonna continue like this until the Lord returns. So what is it that he's after? Well, Isaiah t- uh, chapter 26, verse nine, I got the verse right there on top of the notes. It says, for when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants will learn righteousness. Now, these inhabitants, if for those of you taking notes, the inhabitants that includes the believers and the unbelievers, because guess what, we're inhabitants of the earth as well. And so, it's not just those guys that are learning righteousness; we're the ones that could be learning righteousness as well in the midst of the shakings. Now, I think that one of the ways that um, uh, the earth will learn righteousness, and the church will learn righteousness. Partly, it's because there will be messengers, men and women, who will have an understanding of the times (Daniel eleven thirty three, and they will instruct many. They will help them. They will help get them insight with power. I believe in the word of the Lord to help navigate these waves of God's shaking uh, uh, that are moving across the earth. Haggai chapter 2 makes it very clear that God will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea, the dry land, all the nations. So celestial bodies, the atmosphere, the sky, the weather, earthquakes and volcanoes, tsunamis and floods and fires and all these dynamics, they will increase, it says, according to the scripture. In fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, according to the same passage, once again, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will shake it once more. I shook it, I shook it at Sinai with my glory, and my glory will come again with power, and I will shake it again. Now, the uh, the purpose of uh, God's judgments is to create this environment of faith. Remember, the, the problem with the Laodicean church is their confidence in self and own resources. And the Lord goes, no, I'm going to create an environment that one of the ways I'm going to deliver the church is by bringing about my shakings to begin to shake the things that we put our confidence in. Now, the reason I'm saying faith is because remember that in Genesis 15, verse 6, here's what it says. And Abraham believed, and God accredited it to him as righteousness. I'm going to say this again. Abraham believed, it was Abraham's faith that God accredited as righteousness. And what is this faith? It's this faith that drives us into deep fellowship and intimacy with the Lord with a spirit of obedience. That's what I believe is meant here by by faith. If we don't insert the paradigm of faith in Isaiah 26, uh, verse 9, we're going to come up with, I believe, conclusions that are not going to be helpful for, for us. If anything, they're going to set us up for, uh, for many surprises and offenses. And the reason I say this is because right now, when we hear righteousness, most people think about the changing of the culture, society, and our governments. I can hear the emails now, so I'm going to save you the trouble right now. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have changes in our government, in our culture and society. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that biblically, that is not righteousness. Righteousness comes by faith. Let me put it to you this way. If God himself said that his own law could not bring righteousness, what makes us think that our Constitution can? Okay. <laughs> now, as Paul would say, then are you saying that the law is bad? Paul says, no, it's not. <laughs> I would say the country is bad. No, it's not. I'm just saying that God's law does not produce the righteousness that God himself wants. And if his own law given by angels then how in the world would a couple of dudes that hung out in Pennsylvania writing a law produce righteousness? It's by faith. And so when God's judgments are in the earth, it's because he's creating this environment to bring the church into greater dependence on him and to bring the world into the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to learn Righteousness. That's a giant subject, but one of them is um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, we learn that Christ is our righteousness. They learn about Christ, but the glory and the beauty and the splendor of who he is, that he is the righteous one. In fact, Isaiah 24, verse 16, Isaiah hears this song that's being sung from the ends of the earth, Glory to the righteous one. From the ends of the earth, we will hear a song. Christ Jesus, magnified as the righteous one. What else does it mean to learn righteousness? Well, it means that we, be, that we discover that those who become born again, that, they, that we become the righteousness of Christ. That not only are we justified and forgiven, but that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to reflect his righteousness in the earth. And so the the church will walk in a greater righteousness and greater purity and holiness and consecration. And the unbelieving world, many will come into the kingdom responding to the righteousness of God by faith. And they will enter into that journey of intimacy as well. To learn righteousness is a giant subject. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul talks about the pressures that he was under, the persecutions, and he says, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves. So even when Paul was going through the persecutions that he was experiencing. I'm thinking, for instance, of Revelation chapter 17, verse 6, where it says that the harlot will be drunk with the blood of the martyrs. One, there's many reasons for that, but one of the reasons or one of the things that will happen in the church in that time is a greater discovery to not be dependent upon ourselves, but depend on the Lord. He says it right there. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves. He says, but we trust he will still deliver us. And here's verse 11. I love this. You also helping together in prayer for us. In other words, we're going to learn two things at least, how to fully depend on the Lord and how to depend upon one another. I really want to encourage you guys that this Friday, Dave Schleicher, uh shared a message Friday night on a, a, the training manual in, uh, for pressure and success. And he touched on the subject of, of, what, uh, of, of union with God and, and union with one another. I really encourage you to listen to it. Paragraph E, God's judgments, they allow for the gospel, the instruction of righteousness to come from faith to advance. God's judgments would cause for the, uh, the gospel to advance. Just for fun, by show of hands, how many of you in the last year have had more opportunities to share the gospel with people than you've had in a long time? Just by show of hands, anyone here? Okay. I know that's been true for myself. I've had more opportunities to, tell, to talk about Jesus within this last year than I've had prior. Here's the crazy thing. The crazy thing is, you know, usually we're, kind of, usually we're the one kind of chasing the guy down. Hey, you know you, you know Jesus. But every single one of the situations that I was engaged in, I was approached. They go, hey, can I talk to you for a second? <laughs> yeah, sure. What's going on? <laughs> What's happening? Do you think we're in the end times? Maybe it's my favorite one. Do you know anything about the end times? I'm like, well, let me talk to you. <laughs> I'm talking at least 20, I'm not exaggerating, conversations with people, with unbelievers about the faith because of the dynamics that are taking place in the land. Turn to page to page three. Building up our holy faith. In paragraph A, there are seven exhortations in Revelation chapter 2 to 3, that are aimed at seven specific churches in the book of Revelation. And these exhortations, they um, have specific corrections, affirmations, and promises. And each exhortation starts with one or a series of attributes of Jesus' beauty and these attributes, I believe, they are given to each specific church to specifically address the compromise that they need to overcome. For instance, in the church of Laodicea, uh, they were um, called to overcome this lukewarm spirit, which is this spirit of self-reliance where there isn't the cultivating of deep relationship with the Lord resulting in a deep spiritual barrenness and therefore a uselessness to the Lord. And so the attributes that he introduces himself with, there are three very specific ones, I believe that they are designed to help the church of Laodicea overcome that spirit of independence and shift to a holy faith in him. Paragraph B, again, the Laodicean lukewarm state was due to their self-confidence. And Jesus calls them back to true faith by shifting their confidence From their own resources to their confidence in the Lord. Now, faith in the Lord, uh, I believe, is in in at least three areas. Number one, and firstly, it is in the person of Jesus himself. The person of Christ. Putting our confidence and trust in the person of Christ. Secondly, it is putting our confidence in the work of Christ. Christ. His death, burial, resurrection, the building of the church, the Great Commission, all the works of Christ. We're putting our confidence in his works. And thirdly, the day of the Lord, the coming of Christ. That our faith is in the person of Christ, the work of Christ, and the coming of Christ. Now, turn your Bible to me for a moment to Matthew Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14, because when we're talking about faith, we're talking about, for lack of better terms, locking eyes, so to speak, with the Lord, where we are opening up our hearts to fellowship with him, to, to connect with him. And Matthew chapter 14, I think, uh, gives us some insight in terms of how to move forward, what to avoid and how to move forward. Now, as you're turning to Matthew 14, I just want uh, to bring in another passage. You don't have to turn to You can write it down. And it's Daniel chapter 7. is where the prophet Daniel, he sees the nations as a great sea. And this great sea has got the winds of heaven blowing all across the sea, and the waters are getting churned. Now, when the winds of heaven are blowing, what does that look like? What kind of looks in baby form, some of the stuff that is happening right now. You know, the vision looks kind of cool, but the outworking of the vision means political disturbances, economic disturbances, health disturbances, moral disturbances, uh, disturbances of peace, whether national or international. The, 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 uh, The winds of heaven are stirring the sea. And you and I are called to live in the middle of that churning sea. And Matthew chapter 14, I believe, gives us a picture of What is happening? The Lord, like Peter, He's saying, "Would you come out into the sea and walk on the water with me?" We know the story. The Lord calls Peter out. Peter begins to walk with uh, walk towards the Lord, and the first thing that Peter does is he turns on CNN and he finds out what's really going on. (laughs) And he realizes, "Wow!" He goes, "This is getting intense." And the moment he got consumed with CNN or Fox or Al Jazeera or whatever, he got his eyes off the Lord and he began to sink. And so things are getting more and more intense. And now notice, if you're walking, if he was walking on the seas and looking at Peter, that doesn't, uh, excuse me, looking at the Lord, it doesn't mean that he's unaware of what's going on, but his Focus became the storm. It says that he saw that the wind was boisterous, and he says he became afraid, which means he lost his confidence, and he began to sink. Now, Peter was always a quick study, and he says, save me, Lord. (laughs) And I love the Lord's response. It says, immediately, the Lord stretched out his hands and caught him. And but then he says this to him, he goes, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Let me say it this way. Oh, you of little faith, why did you take your eyes off me? He goes, you were doing so well when you were looking at me. He goes, but then you got distracted by all the stats and the data and the articles. He goes, and then you got scared and then the whole thing just, the whole thing just collapsed. Again, the faith is the issue of setting our sights on the Lord, gazing upon him. Again, I, I just so appreciate, I've said this multiple times, I'm just going to say it again and again. I'm just so grateful for, uh, for Mike's life and the way that he has uh, 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 communicated just really the simplicity of connecting with the Lord. It is actually so simple, it is like insulting, it's so simple the Lord goes, that's the way I want it. Because I want the door wide open for the whosoever to come and to sit before me and to interact with me. Let the worship team come up. Just real quickly here. There are three, the three faces of Jesus here. The amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. All of these three names simply say this. I am reliable. You can trust me. I am reliable. You can trust me. He goes, one of the ways out of this lukewarm spirit, he goes, I want you, when you, come at the, when you come to the table, he goes, I want you to feast on the fact that I am reliable. One of the things that's amazing in John 13 to 17 is how often Jesus says to the disciples, believe me, believe me you believe in God, believe also in me. Lastly, paragraph H, how to grow in faith. Well, we grow in faith by developing our understanding of the faithfulness of God. He's the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation, and and insights like that throughout the word. We, We want to grow in our understanding of these things. We want to take these and we want to turn them into a uh, a, a dialogue with the Lord. Jesus, thank you that you are the amen. Show me more. It is literally just that simple. Jesus, thank you that you are the faithful and true witness. Show me more. And when we get lost, when we, when we begin to lock eyes with him in that way, it will begin to empower and strengthen our hearts. Uh, secondly, we want to ask for our faith to be increased. Thirdly, we want to read the word. Because faith comes by hearing the word of God. We wanna pray in the spirit. We wanna abide in his love. And we wanna look towards his mercy that is to receive when he returns. Let's stand. Father, thank you, Lord, for who you are. Father, we ask you, Lord, that you would... uh, a strengthen our hearts by your grace, Lord, to set our eyes on you, Hebrews 12 1 to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Father, give us the grace to lay aside all the entanglements, whether internal entanglements, entanglements of the, of the media. Just help us, Lord, to lay those aside and to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Father, would you increase our faith? Father, thank you that you've given us not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Lord, we ask you, God, that by the power of the blood, Lord, that you would break the power of fear upon our minds and upon our hearts. And, Lord, that you would stir our hearts, Lord, through your word and through your presence with this tender, vibrant faith in our hearts. I just want to take a moment and uh, if you would like to see prayer, specifically for if you've been battling, again, this, uh, some of this fear, uh, some of it might manifest as, uh, as sleeplessness where your mind is just constantly just kind of churning uh, with regards to your future, future of your family because of the things that are going on? you like to see prayers? I want to invite you to come to the front. I want to pray for you. Also, the Lord is raising up messengers, those who will continue to grow in insight through the word of what is happening. To actually help the inhabitants of the earth to learn righteousness. If that's you, you like to see prayer when you come to the front. In fact, some of you are feeling a spirit of burning on your heart. Say, you know, yes, I'm saying yes, Lord, I am one of those messengers. Gripped with fear, fear, being attacked by fear. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you in that regard. It's it's the lie of the evil one. And then also, in then Jude, it says that one of the ways that we build up our holy faith is by praying in the Holy Spirit. And if some of you uh, don't have your prayer language. If you like to receive your prayer language, and you would like for uh, someone here on the ministry team to pray for you, we invite you to come to the front. The praying in the Spirit is one of the ways that we build up our holy faith. Let's just worship the Lord. It's just come to the front as well.
1: Me Those
0: of you don't have it.
1: I want to live before your eyes. I want to stay before your case. Just keep me steady. I want to live before your eyes. I want to stay.